Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, March 26th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. And you can also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Ken. Good morning, everybody, in the live service, and good morning over in the communion service where I was last Sunday, and good morning online. Those of you who stayed in, there's a lot of rain, and that's all right. We're glad that you're here. However it is that you're here, we're really, really glad. Take your Bibles, and we're going to continue this year-long journey through the book of Acts in chapter Five. The ushers are coming in the aisles and they'll be glad to spot your Bible if you need one. And um, so we've been, uh, let's see, today is the, fir- is the final Sunday in the first quarter. So I was doing a little calculating. We're one fourth done with the year, but we're only starting chapter five of Acts, which means we're only one seventh done with X. So how is that going to work? I'm not sure, but we're going to try to make up some speed as we move along. It's just that these first chapters are so important to laying the foundation to the DNA of the early church and what God was doing. So we have to uh, take some extra time on these uh, chapters. Let's just remind ourselves where we've been here in the, in the, well, it's not a new year, but in 2023, we started with the resurrection of Jesus which we'll celebrate in two weeks. Incidentally, just be sure if you haven't done it, I'm going to lean into it as well. We still needed about 100 people who would serve. Would you be one of those servers on Easter just to help create a great hospitable place for all the people who are coming in uh, that day? Started with Easter, and then after the resurrection, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you all in charge. I'm going back to heaven, but I'm sending my Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes, fills the new church, and there's this powerful thing happening in the new community. Lives are being changed. Souls are being saved. People are coming in. They're breaking bread together. They're enjoying fellowship together. They're studying the word together. They're praying together. They're going out and serving the poor together. They're pooling their resources together to keep the whole thing going. They're carrying one another's burdens. It was amazing, the early church church and what was happening and even the authorities of the Jewish uh, leadership couldn't shut it down and they were trying just like they try to shut down Jesus but it just keeps moving forward and so there's all this momentum as you get to the end of chapter four in the book of Acts and then you hit chapter five and it's like you hit the brakes (laughs) because you take this strange turn in chapter five verse one that makes a first-time reader draw back and say, whoa, now that just got a little weird. It's arguably the most confusing passage in the whole book, and that's the one that we're going to look at right now. So let's start, and I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, had sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the property for himself. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said... Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept, this, kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? 
And after it was sold, won the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to men, but you've lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Stop there for a minute. We'll get to Sapphira. Let's just sort of orient what's, what's going on here. Remember last week when Duffy left off at the end of chapter four, you're seeing this fabulous generosity. There's this man named Joseph who owned a field and he's decided, he's part of the early church. He's decided, I'm going to go sell the field and I'm just going to bring the, the proceeds and I'm just going to give them to the, to the new church. How much of the proceeds? All of them. He just, here's everything. And the people are blown away at his generosity. He's like, yeah, I've never been a part of something that was so transformational. And it's life. And I just want more people to be able to come. And, and, and so I'm just giving everything. I think what we're doing is going to change the world. And people are blown away by that generosity. And so they nickname him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. They're just like, you just make us feel so encouraged, Barnabas. Just be around you. It's like, whoa, it just builds our faith. You're such a, a natural encourager. And so you get then at the end of chapter four, that's where it leads off. The very next word is now, really better translated, but. But there were these two Ananias and Sapphira. This is not an accidental juxtaposition. Luke was trying to call to our attention. There's two types of hearts happening in this story. You had the heart of Ananias that was so good, so pure, so right. And then you have these two, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias meant God is gracious. Sapphira was the Aramaic name for beautiful. But their hearts lacked both grace and beauty. And Luke's trying to make sure we see the contrast. Now, most scholars think Ananias and Sapphira, and Sapphira were probably, um, I don't know, inspired slash envious by what was happening to Barnabas. And, and so maybe their thinking was, well, gosh, Barnabas just got this nickname. He's going to be written about in the Bible. And we got a field, maybe we'll just go sell our field and we'll give the proceeds and maybe they'll call us the couple of charity. That would sound good, wouldn't it, honey? Yeah, I like that. And so, so maybe, maybe there was some envy that was going on or maybe you turn the dial another click. Maybe, maybe there was a little effort to make a go at the leadership structure. If we make a very generous gift, I think they might make one, maybe both of us come to the leadership table and we'd have seats at the middle of what's happening here. Maybe it was that. We don't know. Or maybe, maybe it was innocent enough. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira, they truly were inspired by what they'd seen Barnabas do. And they're like, hey, we well, got a field too. We could go and we'll, let's sell our field and we'll get the proceeds too. But perhaps it was that night at dinner. And perhaps Ananias said, you know, honey, I've been thinking about the thing we were thinking about doing. And I think we might be getting just a little bit carried away. 
I think maybe swept up in the moment. I'm not saying let's not sell the field. I'm not saying let's not be generous. Well, I, what I am saying is let's give part. Let's give a portion of the proceeds to the church. But let's, let's hang on to another part of it. Why, honey? Well, you know, you never know. Could be a rainy day one, you know, it, it, and, and <clears throat> I, I just don't think we ought to go get carried away and give the whole thing. Maybe Sapphira said, but Ananias, if we don't give all of it and we come in, here's a portion. Everybody will be like, here's a portion. That's nothing compared to Barnabas. And we'll just look like spiritual lightweights. And he said, I know, I know, I know, I know. I've already thought about that. And here's what I've realized. Our field is twice as many square feet, at least as Barnabas's was, but nobody knows that. So we'll sell it and we'll give half and we'll keep the other half. The half we give, it'll be roughly equal to what Barnabas gave and nobody will be worse for the wear. Perhaps the fire says, well, I don't know. I figured you'd say that, honey. Sapphira, I've, I've already thought about that. I got it. I know you want to keep your hands clean and you don't want to be, you know, a, a silent uh, accomplice. And so here, here's what we'll do. I'll do the whole deal. You just stay home. You're innocent. I'll go to church. I'll make the presentation. I'll give the offering. And then... Once people are like, woo, that's pretty awesome, and they start nicknaming us, then you just amble in a few hours later, and people are like, let's give a toast to Sapphira, too. And that's, that's the plan. Now, we don't know if that's exactly what happened, but <laughs> it's fun to apply what Peter Marshall called the sanctified imagination, where scripture goes a little silent, right? But you do know that Luke was signaling something to us in verse 2. Look at it again with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back. So what Luke is saying, no, 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 no. There's no innocent party here. Maybe she wasn't part of the actual thing, but she knew exactly what was going on. And what Luke is telling us is their hearts had grown dark. Such a contrast to Barnabas. Now, Peter, who's there leader of the church, he, he has either the spiritual, remember we talked about spiritual gifts several weeks ago, he either has the spiritual gift of discernment, he's just like, mm -mm. or maybe it was the word of knowledge, where sometimes God just tells you that's not true, or here's the word. We don't know exactly which one he had, but he, for however he knew, he knew, and he calls him on it, and Peter says, in essence, Ananias, you're being deceptive. You're lying. You're pretending. You're acting more spiritual than you are. How could you do that? It's not just lying to us. You're lying to us means you're lying to God. And at that, he drops dead. And you know at that point everybody sat up and their eyes bugged out. And they're like, oh my gosh. And I have to imagine that even Peter was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Because Peter didn't pronounce death upon Ananias. He just called him on the truth. 
And so this is catching everybody off guard. And since Jewish customs for burial said, you get them on out, the little men, and they come pick them up and bundle them up and take them out and anoint them for burial and put them six feet under. And, and so it's at this point, you can just feel the rubber band being wound about 50 times the tension when Luke gets to verse seven. About three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asks her, tell me, Sapphira, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? And don't you know everybody's praying? Don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, Sapphira. <laughs> Whatever you do, tell the truth. But see, she'd missed the whole first scene. In fact, she probably walked in, where is he? Maybe he's in the bathroom? I don't know. And so she's still running the play they'd agreed upon. And she says, yes, that's the price. And you just picture Peter's eyes growing heavy with sadness, thinking, Sapphira, I'm not calling the shots here, but I've seen what God is going to do. I know how this is going to play out, and it's not going to be pretty for you. I've seen what happened to your husband. In verse 9, Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard, heard about it. Yeah, I guess so. By the way, ushers, would you come forward? We need to have the offering. And <laughs> Not really. We already took the offering. All right. So <laughs> hopefully things turn out better today. I don't. <laughs> all right. Now. Let's, let's try to figure out exactly what's going on here because we need to make sure that we have clear here. This passage is not about the amount of the offering. That's not what it's about. There's plenty of passages we've talked about plenty over the years. We'll talk about plenty more in the years ahead that have to do with generosity, that have to do with greed. This is not one of those generosity greed. Now, there's something deeper going on here. See... What this passage has to do with is duplicity. It, 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 Peter says, look, Peter, or uh, Ananias, didn't it all belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, Ananias, Sapphira, you didn't have to even sell your, your, your farm, your field. You didn't have to. And if you really wanted to and you wanted to be generous, that's amazing that you, you could have sold it and you could have said, hey, you know, we got 10% here. We're going to keep 90. Or, or you could have said, we're going to go 50, 50-50. And that would have been amazing. But what God cannot abide is deception. You wanted to act like you were great Christians when you really weren't. You wanted people to have an image of you being so spiritual when you really weren't. 
You wanted people to say, wow, now there goes a couple. And they really got their spiritual act together when Monday through Friday, you know deep down, no, we don't. I know some people like that. I bet you do too. And see, the reason that God will not tolerate deception, the reason that Jesus said in Matthew 12, I think it is, those things which are done in the darkness will be brought into the light. Those things which are done in secrecy will be shouted from the rooftop. The reason God won't tolerate deception is because of what he was building. This, friends, this, the church, is the new community. You're like, what does that mean? The new community was this gathering of the believers, the people who've put their trust in Christ, who've trusted in the gospel, who've realized God could have wanted us all up, but he came and he died and he loved us and he conquered the grave for us. And he said, look, I take the hit. I took the hit for you, for your sins. And we say, I accept. I want new life. Now what do I do? He says, now you come into the church. It's the new community that I'm establishing here on earth. It's the closest thing to heaven you'll ever experience before you get to heaven. It's a place where you'll come and there'll be honesty and there'll be transparency and there'll be safety and there'll be love and there'll be encouragement. And you have to understand, Ananias and Sapphira, we're not just starting another PTO or a Rotary Club or a Junior League or National Charity League or Sports Team League or CrossFit club. We're not doing any of those things. Nothing against any of those things. What we're doing is we're starting the new community, the church here on earth, where people will feel safe and honest and loved. At this, sometimes people get a little confused and say, well, I like the sound of that, but I know myself too well. I know sometimes I'm not safe. Sometimes I'm not honest. Sometimes I'm not very loving. Does that mean that I can't come? No. No, no, no. Get this clearly. The church is not a place for perfect people. No, no. Because if perfection and sinlessness were what were required to come into church, there's only be one person who could come, and that's Jesus. None of us could come into the church. No, no, the church is a place where it's okay for anybody to come so long as you'll stop pretending that you're okay when you know deep down, I'm not really okay. That's what the church is. A place where we can come take off our masks and say, hey, you know what? The truth is I'm, I'm struggling with some deception. I'm struggling with some lies some ethical things at work or in my marriage or pornography or serial affairs or drunkenness or substance abuses or um, anger or rage or materialism or pride. The church is a place where we're to come and say, I am not okay. That's how we come into the gospel. People mistakenly think, so the way you get saved is you get your act together and finally God said, wow, you filled up your basket. Look at you. You're good enough to come in. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we come with our empty basket and we say, God, I'm a mess and I need your grace. 
And he says to you, that's what I was always looking for. And he never turns away a penitent heart. So see, I think when we're talking about church, people do get a little bit confused. Some say, I'm not going to be real because I'm going to live the way that I'm going to live. I'm going to stay the way that I am. So I'll just, I just won't come. And then I won't be a hypocrite. Okay, well, you're right on that. But that's kind of a sad story. Sad in the short run and sad in the long run eternally for your soul. And some say, I'm going to come, but I'm not going to deal honestly with what I'm wrestling with. I'm going to fake it. That's bad. That's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. You got one other option, and that is you say, I'm going to come and I'm going to be real and have the humility to allow him to start working on us and to share that with other brothers and sisters who are encouraging us and praying for us. See, we're a, a community of sinners. That's what the church is at its best. We're a hospital for sinners. Everybody says, nobody goes to a hospital and says, like, I don't know why I'm here. I thought I meant to end up at a resort. And I ended up in the, uh, no, that, you don't accidentally get there. Anybody who's in the hospital knows I'm in a hospital because I got this problem. So it should be with us in the church. I'm a mess too. I need grace too. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need to repent. You do that and you belong. You see the difference. And so let's back up. How could this story have gone so much better? Imagine if Ananias and Sapphira had said, we're going to give the property. And then they'd gone to church the next day together. No conspiracy play. Suppose they'd said, hey, Peter, everybody, we sold a field too. Ananias, or rather Barnabas, we're not even going to pretend that we're in your league. We're not. You're amazing. And you really are an encouragement to us all. We're newer to this whole faith thing. We, we'd like to think maybe one day we'll be like you and just like give it all. We're not there yet, but we sold our field and we're bringing 10% or 20%, or maybe 50%. That much we could do with joy and with cheerfulness. That's what we're going to bring. We're, we're going to hang on to the rest. Just, how about you pray for us? Because we got one other field and maybe one day we'll sell that field and we'll just go ape wild and just give the whole thing to the church. That'll be amazing. And would you pray for us? Don't you know that Peter, if they had just said that, would have said, you're awesome. Yeah, we'll pray for you. Thank you for your generosity. Thanks for what you're doing here. It's going to help this continue to go on and lives will be changed and souls will be saved. And we'll pray that whatever God wants to do in the future through your generosity, you'll, you'll let him do that. Oh, it could have been such a great story. A juxtaposition of a Barnabas and an Ananias and Sapphira, two people whose hearts were just transformed, but we don't get that because they gave into the darkness of the heart. 
And so you see, this is why there, when there's deception in the church, it has to be dealt. This is why so many verses talk about how do you deal with sin in the camp. You can go back and read in Joshua 7, the story of Achan. You can go in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 18. And you read about it in Ephesians and Titus, 1 Corinthians. There, there's always this theme. I think it's captured best in Matthew 18 where Jesus basically said, if, if, if somebody has sinned against you, you go to them. You go directly. You don't go on social. Don't post it. Just go to them. Say, hey, we got to talk about this. I think there's a a problem here, a sin, sin. And hopefully they'll be humble and say, you're right. I am sorry and I repent. But if they don't, Jesus says, go back again, take, take another person, maybe a leader from the church, have that same conversation. Hey, there's, there's a problem here. I think somebody's in denial and it's not us. You gotta deal with this. And then Jesus said, hopefully, at that point, they'll say, you're right. Thank you. Thanks for loving me enough to come and be truthful. But if they don't, Jesus says, thirdly, you put them out and you treat them as unbelievers. Now, at first you're like, oh, it seems so harsh. What are they, you're trying to exact vengeance upon? No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with vengeance. Trying to settle the score. No, we're not trying to settle any scores. We're not trying to be mean. What we're doing is we're protecting the purity of the church. We're protecting the flock. And in putting someone out, what we're hoping to do is wake them up. So they go like, what am I doing? This is crazy. How could I have convinced myself this is all going to work out happily and this is going to be a great thing? And How did I do this? So that they'll repent and say, please, I want to come back in. And they'll humble themselves and admit, I'm not okay. I was pretending I was okay, but I'm not okay. And that's the ticket that brings admission, you see. But what God says I can't have is faking it. Don't come in here and fake it. And that's why he had to start so severely with the original church. Because really, think about it. This original church was the prototypical, this was the archetype. This was the first church after which all of us, any churches in any part of the world throughout any era of history for the last 2,000 years, we're copies of this church. And I think that's why Jesus was making clear here, nope. We're going to put the smack down on deception right here. We're only several weeks into this thing. This is the bride of Christ. And if this goes undealt with, heaven help us where we'll be in just a few more weeks. And that made people sit up and say, whoa, this, this ain't just the Rotary Club, is it? No, it's not. This is the body of Christ. It's something different. And this is why we have to call out sin. In smaller groups, we deal with it. And, and, and in larger churches, it has to be dealt with. And it has to typically be dealt with publicly. And I want to talk about that just for a, music, a, a moment because there's, sometimes there's confusion about that, especially if a church uh, takes a position and has to let a leader go and there's a public. The, the secular world says, look at us Christians. They're so mean. They just throw them overboard. And, 
How could, they're supposed to be graceful and loving and forgiving and look at the hypocrites. No, 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 they don't understand what's going on. I'll illustrate. I, I, I'm recalling a situation where some years ago we had to deal publicly with a person in our leadership structure who was deceptive in his behavior as a leader, violating the trust that we placed in him, abusing power, violating some sexual boundaries with somebody under his leadership to, to whom he was not related. And we had to we had to let him go and we had to do that publicly. And some people wrote in. They wrote in saying, I'll never come back to Faith Bridge. You all have lost your heart. You've lost your grace. Let, this was the best one. Let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And I won't lie, it stung. But I knew you just, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting that grace has no impact if we hurl it upon a person who has no repentance. It's just a phony charade. And remembering that any number of you have come into this church and I've said, so what brought you here? You've been honest enough to say, well, you know, honestly, we, we did go to a different church. Really, what church? Sometimes I'll ask, sometimes I won't even ask. And the reason we left is, it was a great church. We, we were growing and we had friends. and da, da, da. But then there was this fiscal or financial uh, oddity that was happening. And there was no accountability. Or there was pastor has an affair and they're, they're downplaying it they are some pastor on the staff and they're not they're not doing anything about it they're trying to sweep it under the rug and we're like I, we, I don't think we can stay and that's exactly what our thinking was when we were having to go through this we knew if if it's not dealt with honestly we'll end up no different than at least two major denominations, two of the largest denominations that perpetually find themselves in the headlines because for some odd reason, decades and decades, they've swept discrepancies and improprieties underneath the rug and tried to downplay them and, and then just shipped a, a, a person who sinned flagrantly and ship them off to a different church and maybe he'll be better, but he's not better there. He does the same thing there again. And that's why we have to do something publicly so that that will stop and that person will not be eligible to go and do the same thing again. Don't you see? It's not that we take joy in it. It's that God was saying, this is the church we're dealing with for crying out loud. He will not wink at sin. And neither can we here in the church. You're like, wow, this is kind of a heavy sermon. It really is. I tried my best to think of a joke, but there ain't no jokes. Um, and I think that's probably what God needed us to know today. Now, this is, this is an important thing for all of us to wrestle with. You have two hearts a good heart, Barnabas, and dark hearts. 
Ananias and Sapphira. Who wants to be Ananias and Sapphira? Nobody. So let's get practical here at the end. What steps could we take to protect ourselves from good hearts becoming dark hearts? Four things I'll give you. Jot them down. The first thing is wake up. You have to wake up, brothers and sisters, men and women. You have to wake up and realize sin can sneak into any of our lives. Our enemy, the devil, roams around like a prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. He's never going to give up. He knows where your flabby underbelly is and he's going to move towards it and try to target your weakness. And we have to be wise to that. It can happen to anybody. I remember the first time I really, really, really realized this. I was in seminary. This is 30 years ago. And I was a young guy and my roommate, Scott, we were in our dorm room. And there was a man who, uh, who was, he was very popular and very famous in the Christian world back then. Many of you have never heard of him. He wrote a book that was called Ordering Your Private World. And he, he was, you know, the way that people follow any number of other people today. He was, he was kind of that guy. And it all came out that he had had an affair. And I remember Scott and I, we were lying in our beds one night looking at the ceiling with the lights off. Just like, how could he do that? And then one of us said, if that could happen to him, that could happen to either of us. Turn on the lights. We both set up and said, well, so what should we do to make sure that doesn't ever happen to either of us? Leads to the second thing. Step into life-changing community. There's nothing like the power of, of a group. Brothers, sisters, that you can depend upon, that you can be honest with, that you can take your mask off and say to, I'm wrestling with, or if you're not, they'll be honest enough with you to say, you know what? I think you're cutting corners here. I think you're rationalizing a little bit. I don't think you're really thinking this through wisely. Who can speak the truth in love to us. There's a great verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 that says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. There's nothing like the power of community. And so Scott and I formed a, a, a small group, and, and it was just guys. There was about four of us, five, I think. And we covenanted. We're just going to be totally transparent. Every Sunday evening, we would meet for a couple of hours. And you know one of the guys that was in that group, Dan Slagle. And even to this day, years later, he and I still have that type of trusting transparency. We've said to each other any number of times as we've made confessions to one another. Because there's something very liberating about putting the needle in the balloon of a kooky thought. And all of us can have kooky thoughts. The devil loves to give us kooky thoughts. And we've said to each other, let's always... Keep making our confessions on the shallow end of the pool so that we don't ever wake up one day drowning in the deep end. Community, third thing, establish clear boundaries. How do we keep our hearts from growing dark? You, you set up boundaries ahead of time. Financially, since I've mentioned it, I'll just mention here at church because sometimes people, well, how does that work here? 
Do you handle the funds? Do you count the offerings? Do you sign the check? No, I don't do any of those. In fact, some of you sometimes give me a $20 bill out there and I forgot that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not taking it. But there's a slot over there in the wall. Just go drop it in there because I don't touch it. And I don't even know the combination to the safe. And I do have check, but we have to have two signatures and they don't use me, but like rarely when, somebody, when other people are out of town. There's checks and balances. There's safety. Makes me feel safer as well. Morally, I know it seems very old-fashioned, what we used to call the Billy Graham rule. Now, a lot of, I hear a lot of people call the, the Mike Pence rule. I don't go out to restaurants with another lady. It just feels, other people come up, Pastor Ken, no, not Suzanne. Who is that and why? You know, and it's just... So I don't, I don't do it. It's setting up those, pre-deciding is the key. I have life 360 of it. Some of y'all have that for your kids. Our whole family's on it. And, and I, I don't, we don't ever turn it off. I don't even know how to turn it off. I'd have to ask Wesley or William, how do you turn it off? And, and so, so we always know where everybody is and there's something healthy and safe about that. And we know each other's passcodes, how to get into each other's phones. And there's something very freeing about the transparency that comes through pre-established boundaries. Final thing. When you fall, and it's not if, it's when. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the We're still sin prone, even once we're saved. But when you fall, don't. Fake it. Come clean. Turn around. Repent. So let me be transparent because I was asking, I felt like the Lord said, well, you need to open up your soul a little bit. So, okay, what do I wrestle with the most? I think the thing that probably I wrestle with the most and where my heart could be most inclined to grow dark is that sometimes I get a little snappy with people. I get a little impatient with people. I, I say something that it comes on too strong and, and too harsh and, and too perfectionistically. And, and I just learned that about myself. And I shudder to imagine how many times I've done that with people who've worked closely with me over the years, um, who don't feel quite the freedom that my Suzanne would feel to snap right back, and, <laughs> which is helpful. And, Particularly uh, my assistant for 24 years, Janice. I bet, I don't know, I hesitate to, I don't even really want to know. But I know I've made her cry. I don't know how many times I've made her cry. But I came on too strong. This wasn't right. But this I can say. Well, two things I can say. The first one, I, I, getting on Zoloft really helped. Okay, so I'm just saying that's... <laughs> That's the first thing, so we're just being real transparent today, all right? And that does take the edge off, and it's really, really helped me. So there's great healing power in that. But the second, the second thing is, when the Holy Spirit convicts, it's not if, it's when. He always shows up and says, that was beautiful. I don't fight it. 
And I go back and I say, I'm sorry. I came on too hard and forgive me. Let me take a second take at uh, what I said. The only way to keep things from growing dark in our hearts is to let the light of Christ shine in. And as long as we turn back to him, there is grace for the penitent heart. It's the only heart I have nothing hopeful to say about is the unrepentant heart. Because there is nothing hopeful to say. Don't be that heart. Brother and sister, turn to Christ. Step into the light. Be real. And give up deception. That's who we're called to be as the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text. Not a particularly fun text. Definitely a confounding text when you first read it but one that you intended to, to make a clear statement about as we start into chapter five of the early church. God, give us grace to live in the truth of what we've talked about, to come into the light, to resist the temptation of rationalizing and, and compromising and, and growing deceptive, realizing that the ground under that structure just gets marshier and marshier and marshier and nothing solid or lasting will ever be built upon that soggy ground. God, free us, heal us, liberate us, forgive us, give us your grace. Friend, turn to Christ even now, even if you, and especially if you're feeling an area of your life which you need to surrender. Why don't you just now come clean and say, I need your grace. And I'm gonna challenge you, don't just make a confession to God. You need to confess it to a person with skin on them. There's something very freeing about that. You find a safe person and you speak it out. And the miracle is things will begin to look brighter. Not easy, but better, 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 better. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.